The COVID lockdown in Victoria continues. Harvey Norman is the face of corporate greed in Australia. Economic growth don't mean much when you can't pay the bills. And the good news is about Iron Maiden and airships. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and joining me as always is the phenomenon (laughs) that is Van Batum. The way he says phenomenon, his face gets really intense. Phenomenon. It's because I well, I think when I was younger, I used to say that word really badly. I, I, I would say it wrong all the time. <laughs> anyway, so phenomenon, Adam, how are you? Oh, I'm pretty phenomenal. Wearing my favourite lockdown dressing gown. It's I, morning wear. It's afternoon wear. It's day wear. It's night wear. As you well know, it's uh, video game playing wear. And I, during lockdown, just don't take it off. I did a Zoom meeting with it on the other day. So thank you to everyone for not saying anything. I feel like there's five million Victorians who are basically all wearing some <laughs> version of their pyjamas as we speak. Whatever time of day, whatever day of the week it may well be now, they're it's, it's irrelevant. This, they're it's just, just irrelevant. What, thank God the show's called The Week on Wednesday, otherwise we'd have no idea. <laughs> well, look, our thoughts obviously go out to everybody who is in lockdown. We live in regional Victoria uh, and we. the good news for us today, the good news for us person, on a personal level is that um, we will have lessened restrictions as of midnight on Thursday. Thursday. Um, for many, many Victorians, however, this COVID lockdown, as it has been dubbed, it, it rightly dubbed in my view, uh, will continue now for at least another week. Um, and of course, there's a great deal of uncertainty that comes with the phrase at least another week. And it's an uncertainty that, frankly, is a result of the poor rollout of the vaccine program oh, and the lack of quarantine facilities. Absolutely deplorable. So I wrote about this in my Guardian piece this week week where I talked about the fact that you and I got vaccinated the other day, Mm. which was amazing. So I didn't realise there wasn't a shortage of vaccine in Victoria because the messaging from the federal government has been so cack-handed since since the the vaccine was, (laughs) since they won for the past eight years, um, that nobody's really known what has been going on with the vaccine and I'm a pretty avid consumer of media and I, you know, work in it so I had quite the strong feeling that we didn't have this massive supply of vaccines. I just so happened to watch James Molino, who's the acting Premier, give the press conference about what's going on in Victoria and say we need more people to get vaccine. There's a surplus of vaccine. There's heaps of vaccines in Victoria and I was like... Well, who's communicating this? Like, why did I have to be lucky enough to see a press conference in order to know that the vaccines were available? So I called the hotline and it turned out I was eligible, you were eligible, and off we went. And we went off to the Ballarat McCure. And a big shout out to Colin, who is the nurse, who I don't think had slept for several days, who did the injection. Um at the at the McCure in the in the pop up clinic there, but we've had conversations with friends who we now know are eligible mm, who mm. didn't know, like our friend Jen the other day yep. who's sixty, and we were like, no, no, you can totally get the vaccine, and she had no idea. And I mean, this is oh, it's so poorly constructed, <gasps> and the, the you know there's no mass no mass media, no mass marketing. It's interesting. The Morrison government is quick to come up with ads spruiking how awesome they are. When it comes to infrastructure which spending, is so awesome. which they've actually cut, you know, when it comes to the economy, spending on training, which they've cut, all these healthcare, things, which they've, you know, which like. they, which they more than happy to make ads for, and you know, the milkshake ad, people will remember the three million dollar milkshake ad, three million dollar milkshake ad. They have spent no, no, wait for it, forty million dollars on coronavirus vaccination information campaigns, and I'm like. Where where really? is it? Where where is that? Yeah, forty million dollars, and this is the question: like, where is it? Nobody knows what's going on. And There's got to like, be a McKinsey consultant somewhere. Oh, who's of just, course, who's rubbed their hands. Friend of Angus Taylor's, I'm, yeah, sure. I'm sure. So this is the thing: they spend all this money on consultants and get these massive multinational corporations in to do messaging, which is yeah, just yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, and millions of dollars of taxpayers' money get spent not on services to taxpayers, not on effective communication, but on something. 
and we're none the wiser. And this is my question. This is a public health crisis. This is the most significant public health crisis of our lifetimes. It is the first global pandemic since 1918, like, of, of this scale. Mm, mm. And you would think that an information campaign involving mass vaccination, especially in the window when we didn't have any active cases, would involve maybe leaflets in every letterbox, door-to-door campaigns, deploying local government and heaps of staff like out across the country to make social sure... Social media ads. Social media ads to go Television where ads. people are and a coordinated, integrated information campaign so everybody knew where they stood. That's what governments used to do. We oh. did this in this country under Howard. Remember there was an anti-drug campaign and mm. every household in Australia got a leaflet about sitting down with your kids and talking to them about drugs. Mm. You know, and mm. we could mobilise on that level for something as nonsense as effectively a scare campaign around drug use but mm. we can't do that with an invisible killer virus that's killed millions of people across the world. Well, I mean it's so ridiculous now that Channel 9 has started running its own ads uh, around getting vaccinated. Oh, that notorious socialist corporation, Channel Nine, <laughs> which is which is run by Peter Costello. Peter Costello, the man who didn't have the bottle to become prime minister, um, is doing a better job. If you don't give it to me, minister, I don't want it. Yeah, of being prime minister than Scott Morrison, the prime minister to. of Channel Nine, and. And look, there are issues with that ad, and before you inundate our social media, I'm aware of the criticisms of the ad being overly white and and essentially, you know, really pitched at um, the viewers of Channel Nine, who are probably and predominantly overly white themselves. Um, you know, but kind at of least, a white station, <laughs> yeah, it's weird when you look at the like they're using their own stars, and when you look at it, it's a pretty uh, monochromatic palette. Um, but at least they're giving something a go. At least they're trying to communicate with a group of people who watch their TV station. You know, I'm, I'm in no. I'm not saying let's give money to Channel Nine to put to to put government ads on, but. The reality is millions of people in Australia every day watch television. They also watch catch-up television. They also go on social media. There are lots of ways to advertise. They also go to the letterbox, especially if you're in lockdown and it's the only place you really can go. Yeah. Like, and this is this is what I just find absolutely extraordinary. Like, I've, I wrote a lot of articles in The Guardian when coronavirus started about the opportunity that Australia and Western countries that had gone down the neoliberal path had to regain some ground. And and that liberal governments seeing that liberal and conservative governments seeing that social infrastructure was a bit of a disaster that their mm. ideology had led us down a dark path had an opportunity of an emergency to do some progressive things that mm. actually were in their economic interest in the long run mm. you know pump job keeper into the economy make sure that there was you know money circulating through businesses and as it turns out job keeper has been extremely good for mm. business as you will explain in a moment but there are infrastructure questions about how society is organized that need to be answered better and Morrison just hasn't wanted to do it he hasn't wanted to mobilize the power of federal government in order to keep Australia safe. He hasn't wanted to use a vaccine rollout to actually, you know, enfranchise local government, state government, mm-hmm. coordinated national activity. That's the kind of nation building stuff that becomes the legacy of prime ministers. Well, it's interesting that you, you touch on that because today we're seeing what's coming out from uh, the rollout of the vaccine into aged care and the rollout of the vaccine uh, into uh, supported uh, disability accommodation uh, is that they have engaged contractors and in many cases the contractors have not even begun work uh, so the dog is trying to crawl out it is kind of amazing the dog so is trying to open to the garage door okay so now the dog is out the door <laughs> We can go back to the point I was trying to make, which is that the the government, the federal government, has relied on a privatised model to try and roll out the vaccine, which has resulted in large numbers of people in aged care homes not getting vaccinated. Privatised. Privatised. Aged so, care So there's been all sorts of problems with this, right? Like there's been confusion about the numbers of homes that have actually been visited by a vaccination team. This is the, this is the kind of language that Greg Hunt uses now, right? Because it's not about 
actually vaccinating people, the the metrics that are used with the contractors are how many homes they actually go to visit because some people will reject the vaccine, right? Less than one third of aged care workers have been actually vaccinated, although now the department's saying they don't can't actually verify the numbers of oh, aged care workers. Oh, it was extraordinary. So I don't know if any of you caught some of the questions from Murray Watt and Katie Gallagher, who are the Labor senators at Senate Estimates this week, mm. where they had Colbeck, who's the Minister for Aged Care, <laughs> the Minister for Aged Care, oh. on the spot. And they were like, so how many people have been vaccinated? And he was like, I can't give you that information. And they're like, you're the minister. Like, is are vaccinations continuing? And he went, well, it's not a yes or no question. It's like it's pretty much the definition of a yes or no question, Richard. And Katie Gallagher was tweeting, like, how does this guy still have a job? Like, how is this? If you were in the lowest management capacity and you screwed something up, you couldn't answer a yes or no question, you would be fired. Oh, like, but it's it's... It's across the board in this government. I mean, we've talked about it before, right? And what we're seeing is the the kind of responses that they give as well. So Colbeck has now referred to the workers in the sector as dregs. Oh, you just what? Yeah, just give the dregs. Just give the dregs of what's left. He what? Yeah. So this is this has come out. When did he do this? This has come out today that the the reference is well, what about the staff, right? The question became so we're going there to visit and and give the vaccine to residents who want it. So not every resident will have a vaccine. Um, what about the staff? I'll give them the dregs. You know. If there are residents of aged care and disability homes who don't want the vaccine, that's actually a disinformation problem because those vaccines are safe. There is more scientific evidence mm. coming out every day about just how safe those vaccines are. Like this was in my article when we talked about AstraZeneca and we knew people who were like, I don't know if I want to take the AstraZeneca. Oh, there's a risk of blood clots. Let's put this into perspective, people. The the science on the number of blood clots with the AstraZeneca vaccine Mm -hmm. is six in a million. That's not six deaths. That's six incidents of blood clots. And when you go for your vaccine, they actually have you sit um, in a mm. room. So you get your shot and then you go and you sit and they give you a lollipop. It's very cute. I hope everybody, I hope there are universal lollipops. <laughs> not that I would count on that from Scott Morrison. But so they, you're under observation. You're given like a list of, of mm. care instructions and all these things. And they've really got that, pro- the health professionals have got that process under control. So if you're exposed to coronavirus, you have a 20,000 in a million chance of dying from it. So statistically, you are much, 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 much less safe getting coronavirus than you are getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. And if people are refusing that vaccine, Mm. that's based on disinformation. Mm. And we know that disinformation is spreading on the internet. We know all these right-wing whack jobs are writing these crazy, you know, Mm. anti-vaccination screeds. We know a lot of it is supported by the Russians, which sounds crazy. Yes, it does sound crazy, but there's demonstrated evidence that this is going. Well, it doesn't sound that crazy because the the reality is that there is misinformation. There is misinformation coming from, frankly, coming from the Commonwealth Government. Dan Tian went on Insiders and told people that if they were in lockdown, they should go to Centrelink and get financial support. That is misinformation, Mm -hmm. right? That is a government, you know, there's a fine line between how the incompetency of these people and deliberate misinformation about using misinformation to buy themselves a small window of time to get out of, say, a sticky interview situation, to buy themselves a longer window of time to, say, get out of a Senate estimates sticky situation, or simply to try and confuse a population in order to... What would be the word? To... To victim blame. To victim blame. So we, Australians, are victims, actual victims. In Victoria at the moment, every single person in this state is a victim of the the federal government's mismanagement of the vaccination program. We are in lockdown because we do not have the rates of vaccination we should. In the United States of America, 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 the home of the privatised healthcare disaster... Uh, more than 50% of the adult population is already vaccinated. There are 10 states where more than 70% of the adult population is vaccinated and they're extending vaccinations to children and in America. This is happening there. We are currently, when I last checked... Mm. 
121st in the world for a proportional rate of vaccination. The vaccination rate is higher in India, where they are having this massive crisis, than it is in Australia. And the, and the raw numbers there, right, are that we have done 4.4 million doses, and and our and our the target for phase one. For phase one, which was due to end at the end of March, keeping in mind we're now in June, the target for the end of March was 13.6 million. We're, we're 9 million doses short of a target that we've missed in March. Like, we're just so not even... And, and for now, Morrison to come out and be like, oh, it's not a race, and the medical advice says it wasn't a race. It's like, mate, that wasn't medical advice. That was something your medical advisor was trying to say to you in a private meeting to, to calm things down when clearly somebody was going off tap, right? There is a big difference. I've been in those rooms, not with this government, obviously. But yeah, no, I've been, you haven't been in those rooms with no. this government, no. But you I've never been, would or you'd be single. But I've been in rooms where people are getting fired up and they are getting concerned and, and there is a need for an expert to bring down the temperature in the room. And an expert says things like, well, look, it's not a race. What's important is we get it rolled out properly and we get it rolled out thoroughly and we get it rolled out timely, in a timely manner. That's the full thing there. For Morrison to go, to take away from that, oh, it's not a race, and to then use that as his excuse. For, I don't hold the dose, mate. Oh, it's unbelievably poor. It's unbelievably poor. And, you know, we need to just get to a point, you know, the ANMF, who are one of Australia's great unions, these are the nurses and midwives uh, who are in aged care, disability care, hospitals, in all sorts of settings, who are dealing with this really at the front line, have just, and fair enough to come out and said they've given up on the Commonwealth. They've given up on the Commonwealth. Oh, well, that's great. So how many members of the ANMF? About a quarter of a million? Yeah, more than that now. More than a quarter of a million workers in that sector have said we've given up on the Commonwealth Government. Well, that's great. Big tick, Scott. Well, you can't blame them. You cannot blame them. You know, and But haven't we all given up? And this is what's so dangerous. Like, this is what sows distrust in governments and democracy. Mm. You can see this nonsense in America. Four years of total dysfunction in government under Trump has created this expectation that government is not there to help you, that they can't do these things. And so now you have Biden who's running these massive programs, desperately trying to drag America kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Mm, and mm. you have those entire communities of people who are like, I don't trust government. I'm shooting paradigms on my own, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, Van, this this is, I think, a good segue into uh, our sponsor, Australian Unions, right? Because Do we have a sponsor? We well, do. We have a sponsor. Do we have a sponsor? Is it Australian Unions? It is Australian Unions. Who can I just say? I feel very ideologically aligned with Australian well, Unions. And this is not this is not in the the copy they've provided. But I have to say a big shout out and a big thank you to all of the union members who are working through lockdown, whether they're stacking shelves, or they're in healthcare, or they're in aged care, or they're in disability services. I note that only desperately trying to make entertainment, so yeah. we don't all sink into despair. People in the NDIS who are just trying to make sure they're staying safe and that their clients are staying safe. And my comrades in the media. You know all of the all of the workers who are in all of the unions driving the trucks to make sure that we can stay fed and watered and healthy. Just a really big shout out to all of you and the top job you're doing. Um, you know, there is food and medicine and the water comes on when we turn the tap and that is in big part thanks, and TV. To, thanks to the workers. And radio. Thanks to the workers and in newspapers. unions. And we all want to see positive change in the world. Do we all want to see positive change in the world? We do, but where do you start? Are you man? entirely sure? Because I have a feeling I could find some right-wing lunatics who do not want positive change. <laughs> but I reckon if people are listening to this podcast... <laughs> They want to see positive change in the world, don't you? You and I do. Yeah, yeah I'm in. I'm yeah? pro. So where did we start? We joined our union, We right? totally joined our union. Yeah, that's something everybody can do, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's... You don't have to have your own podcast. You don't have to live in the country. You don't have to... Have a cute dog. Uh, no. I mean, these are nice things to have, but it doesn't matter and whether union you have union doggos is an awesome campaign. That is an awesome campaign. But, you know, you can, you can be part of the change by joining your union because union members are people of action, right? You're a person of action. I'm a person of action. Do Sally McManus is a person of action. Sally McManus is a doer. There's no question that about that. That chick's a doer. Right? We, we don't just talk about about what we hope for, we make it happen through streamers. Union members come together and they make change happen. And we do it because we know that the point of life is what we owe to each other. We owe one another solidarity. We owe one another support. And we owe one another kindness. 
So go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W for Week on Wednesday for more information and to sign up to your union today because if we stand together, we're going to come through this together. Dude, it's stand together or fall apart in Victoria at the moment, let me tell you. That's absolutely right. So, look, we're going to leave COVID lockdown behind. At some point, we're actually going to leave it behind, which will be good, but we're going to leave it behind for now in this show because... I also want to talk about Harvey Norman, who has become the face of corporate greed in Australia. And this has been a phenomenal, uh, I think, campaign and public reaction to to what has been bubbling along under the surface in Australia now for some time. And Can that- I do an anti-ad? I will not shop at Harvey Norman. I will not shop at a company that behaves that way, that exploits workers, that engages in exploitative labour practices, that runs a social media account now disbanded, which is just like evil and insulting. I will not support a man who says that homeless people are less than human. I will not give a single dollar to that company and I'd expect anybody who shares the values of this show to never, ever, 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 ever go there again. Hashtag boycott Harvey Norman. So, look, um, see, we're like the only podcast in Australia where you're going to get ads and (laughs) anti-ads. How much fun is this? But it, look, let's go through some of the some of the facts and figures here too, because I think you know everything you've just said, Van, is absolutely spot on. This is an exploitative company where Jerry Harvey, as an individual, runs it with an iron fist. He shuts down AGMs so that people who even people who own shares are not empowered to be part of this this process. Uh, he has taken twenty two million dollars in JobKeeper money. Profits were up one hundred and sixteen percent in Harvey Norman. He said he's not repaying that money. He made some off-the-hand comment about, well, eventually I'll pay it back in taxes. When the Victorian state government, and we talked about this in a previous show, said, well, we, you know, we're going to lift payroll tax on these big, big companies like Harvey Norman. He went off his tree about it, and this is outrageous, and blah, 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 and I'm going to shut shops and all the rest of it. Of course, none of that has come to pass because he is, at the end of the day, the face silk. of corporate greed. Um They've been pushing for a minimum wage cut as well. This is this has been a big driver. So the union campaign around this, people might have seen um, in places outside of Victoria, protests outside Harvey Norman stores. And this started to generate some heat and some traction and it got big on social media. And it was partly because, yes, all these awful things that Harvey Norman and Jerry Harvey are saying and doing, but... Also, they are advocating for a cut in the real wages of of working people more broadly. That's 2.2 million people he's trying to cut the wages of. So these protests led to this online stuff. And you're right. Like the, the Harvey Norman Twitter account just... It said it wasn't staffed by anyone. I think they actually said manned. But, um, you know, that nobody was staffing it. And... Yet it started to respond to people. And mm, it started to amazing. People. It must have just been internet goblins. Well, people started to Harvey go... Harvey Norman and their terrible internet goblin problem. Pretty good reason to not buy a computer from there. Which which may well actually be Jerry Harvey himself. This is the speculation, is that the Harvey Norman account... We wouldn't speculate. We're a news show. Well, we're a news slash politics slash commentary slash <laughs> anti-ad show. Um, but the, the I think Marty Pakula, the Victorian minister, actually said... I've never even interacted with this account, and yet I've been blocked. I wonder if it's because um, I said... I believe in progressive taxation. Well, he made reference to a uh, horse race he went to where he said some words with Jerry Harvey in person. And can I just say, like, Marty Pakula, you're one of my favourites. Loves a horse race. Uh, And he loves a horse race, so man after my own heart. But also his Twitter feed is consistent gold. There's way too much self-censorship that goes on in politics, but not from Marty Pakula. So... (laughs) If you're so looking you for a go. good political follow, that would be one of my favourites. M- Martin Pakula is uh, is worth following on Twitter. And so, look, there was a real serious side to that stuff too, right? So, yeah, it's funny that Marty Pakula had a run-in with him at a race uh, <laughs> race day and got blocked as a result. And maybe Jerry Harvey's actually, you know, going around um, essentially trolling people. But you know, one of the one of the posts, and there is a bit of a warning on this because this. Um, I'll read it out to you because I have it in front of me. Yeah, it's so th- pretty bad. So. Um, things get the thing about being a union member is union people talk to union people and things about the conditions in certain places get around and the stuff that I have heard that has gone on at Harvey Norman um, 
is summed up by this tweet, which appeared um, from an at Sisyphysical uh, a day ago. And can I just say, before ago. you read it out, if because uh, I know there's a lot of people at the moment struggling with their mental health, um, this this is quite serious and quite heavy topic. And um, if you are struggling, you might want to fast forward the next 10 or so seconds, or alternatively, just be in a place where you can get access to help if you feel you're going to need it. Okay, so this was the tweet the other day. Lol at Harvey Norman AU blocking people for talking about wage strikes. Working for your godforsaken company drove me to suicide in six months. To the 50 people paid 200 grand a year to manage one account, um, <clears throat> go go relocate yourselves. Yeah. I know you do. That Sydney conference is a mess. To which Harvey Norman AU replied, um, face palm, goodbye hand. You know, that kind of um, social media... Former worker talking about being driven to suicide, getting emojis as a response. Oh, and and quite dismissive emojis. You know, it tells you a lot about uh, Harvey Norman's corporate culture, uh, whether Jerry Harvey was personally running that account or not, it, the corporate culture of that company is clearly very toxic. Uh, anyone who's observed the last few days can see that. Um, this has now moved beyond the simple sort of uh, dispute about wages, um, as important as that is, in my view, this has moved to a point where you've got to consider Harvey Norman as potentially a dangerous influence on Australian culture that that yeah. such a major corporation would behave in that way has made no apologies for it no apologies no the account is shut down but, but after blocking and blocking and blocking I did a tweet which said politely I don't think work at Harvey Norman where we drive our employees towards suicide is really a great branding strategy and, and the chase has done a thing outside uh, Harvey oh, the Norman chase store. Great. it's a great video I encourage people to check it out well, they send a spruker to spruker Harvey Norman sale and it is, I've got to say boys one of your best. Yeah, you know Junkie's written something up uh, The New Daily's written something up, The Guardian has now written it up as well. You know, there is thankfully, the mainstream media is having a look at this going, hang on a minute, what does this kind of corporate response say uh, about the culture in Australia? Because what it says is, if you're Jerry Harvey, you can call the treasurer and say, there's a pandemic, you've got to give us some kind of wage subsidy. You can run your, you can sponsor a multi-million dollar horse race uh, and you can invite whoever you like and you can have a big song and dance about that. You can take Take huge amounts of money out of the company as dividends and and executive payments. You can pay your workers the bare minimum and get away with that for years on years and advocate against them getting a pay rise, right? That's sort of been a corporate okay thing to do in this country for a long time now. And it's now leading into it's okay to To bully employees to bully employees to the point of suicidal tendency. That is not okay. It's never okay, and we should be standing up against it. I think it's time for us all to listen to the 2008 quote from Jerry Harvey that was reported in the Sydney Morning Herald, hardly a fringe outlet. And this is Jerry Harvey on homeless people. You could go out and give a million dollars to a charity tomorrow to help the homeless. You could argue that it is just wasted. They're not putting anything back into the community. It might be a callous way of putting it, but what are they doing? You are helping a whole heap of no-hopers to survive for no good reason. They are just a drag on the whole community. And I'm just like, actually, they're human beings. And where I come from, all human life is very precious. It's why we invented things like... The hospital. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, Jerry, you are a terrible person, a terrible person. And the fact that your words carry weight just because you have used wage exploitation models to make yourself very, very rich is not okay. And And part of the reason why I'm not a fan of the capitalist system, Ben, not a huge fan, don't think it's all right. And I think 
you know, this goes beyond Jerry Harvey. Jerry Harvey is is the current face of corporate greed in this country. And my, but is he the face of corporate greed? Because I think you've said that a couple of times. <laughs> but he he is, uh, in my view, he is one of the people dragging down our whole community. Uh, and there are other people out there as well. And anybody who's followed my Twitter feed lately will see some of the stuff I've been putting out around Justin Hems, who's the CEO of Maryvale. Oh, Ben loves Justin Hems. I'm, I'm only oh, gonna, loves him. I'm only going to touch on this very briefly. There's lots of stuff out there. You can find it. This is the guy who has um, been found to have conducted wage theft of $146 million. Um, the federal court says, yes, that's occurred. Uh, he says he shouldn't have to repay it. And his reason is because he intends to use that money to expand and build his business, and which, of course, he and has now gone out and spent another $200 million buying more businesses. What kind of businesses are these? These are pubs. These are pubs and uh, hotels and restaurants. Justin Hems was at budget night and photographed with Michaelia Cash, the Industrial Relations Minister. And the Attorney General. And the Attorney She's General. She's also the Attorney General. The woman who withdrew withdrew Commonwealth wage theft laws on budget night was photographed on the steps in Parliament House with a man who has been found to have stolen, withheld, underpaid, whatever word you want to use. Stolen. $146 million in workers' wages and has now gone out and spent that money, that money, plus a bit more, buying other people's pubs where he will now have access to more workers whose wages he can use to fund more purchases for He's him and his wages. empire. Yeah. Like this is... Cancerous. It is cancerous. It's the uh, Yes, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer and cell. It's, and That's it's, an Edward Abbey quote. And it is frankly... It is frankly so detrimental, you know, in a in a good society, in a moral society, in a society that valued people and our commonwealth. Business leaders who acted like that would be in prison. They wouldn't be in Parliament House. They wouldn't be held up as icons of the hospitality industry or the retail trade. They wouldn't have access to the Treasurer's phone number. And if you were a member of government and you were actively spending time with these people in a government capacity... You should be run out of town on a rail. And in places like Iceland, Finland, Norway, They Sweden, are run out of town Germany, on Germany, France, they are run out of town because it is... It leads to a corruption of society. And I want to talk about that issue you just raised around growth. Can I just say, Ben, um, that was the most restrained you've ever been on the subject of Justin Hems, and I'm very proud of you for getting through it without... <laughs> well, I don't want to focus on him too much because he's not the focus of today's episode. But, but we take these things very seriously in our household. We do. We do. And you know what, Van? As all the neighbours know. So... You know, I want to. I want to say that we can, we can do more together. We can actually create positive change. Are you suggesting we all join a union? I'm going to say to you <laughs> that we should all join a union because whether you want that positive change in the workplace and and. Fighting against wage theft, you only need to look at the great work of unions like the United Workers Union, uh, Hospo Voice, who are Hospo Voice, yeah. who've been in that space. They're the AWU, really, the CFMEU, I'm Manufacturing really impressed Division. with Hospo Voice because they sort of came out of they came out of the blue, just this wonderful uprising of hospitality workers who were like, you know, actually no, we're not putting up with this anymore. And they've been so active, and it's been so great to see young people, overwhelmingly young people, and so many young women as well mm. who get terribly exploited in hospitality and it's close to my heart because obviously I was one of those young women who faced exploitation in hospitality for many years and um, in all ways. I mean, it's not just about your work yeah. conditions. It's about sexual harassment at work and the rest of it. And they've just been so active and it's awesome. And, you know, they're making that change happen. They're making that change happen in the workplace. We know union members around the country are actively involved in their communities and they're making positive change happen. You know, and politically, of course, union members are, are going to Canberra. They're shaping policy. They're moving the dial. You know, there are wage theft laws now in Victoria, in Queensland, in WA. Industrial manslaughter Industrial laws manslaughter well. laws. You know, being part of your union is one of the most effective things you can do. So, Join your union today. You, you know, union members have won 
those things we've just talked about. They've won Medicare, that universal healthcare system. Superannuation, eight-hour day. Eight-hour day is a big one. That's, That's a, a big, big one. one. That was a, a big one. one. Leave, you know, having leave entitlements. And even now where we're seeing the erosion of some of that, it's union members who are standing there holding the line going, no, it's not okay. It's not okay to have casuals be exploited, to, to have people forced into casualisation. Sure, some people casual work is going to work for them. But it's union members who are like, sure, if if James wants a casual, if wants to work casually because it works for James, sure. But you can't force Jenny to be casual just so you don't have to pay her leave. You know, that's what union Speaking members are doing. Speaking of casuals, the largest industrialised, I mean, the largest casualised industry in Australia is extraordinarily the university sector. Those of you who still think academics are well-paid mm. living in ivory towers, somewhat behind the times. Um, and I just wanted to do a shout-out to the NTU who are demanding that lockdown in Victoria that a casual academics get job seeker because at the moment there are you know it's two weeks of lockdown there is no work terms of casual contracts mean they can't just ask yeah. for money the university sector is under huge amounts of financial pressure because it copped a nine percent budget cut in the budget as well mm. and the demand is get your finger out Josh Frydenberg give these people job keeper these are workers in the economy and they need to eat and pay rent so I want to say to anybody listening today who's not a Maria Union... Join one. Join. Join, join a union. And go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, W-O-W, that's for the week on Wednesday, and join today. You know, you've heard Van and I talk about it. We're passionate about it. We believe in it. We're union members ourselves. I got asked the other day, um, I, I was starting um, starting some new, doing some work somewhere new, and um, one of the one of the delegates there said, oh, you're a union member. I said, yeah, Absolutely, I'm a union member. They said, oh, good. I said, oh, I've got my card here somewhere. They said, oh, that's all right. I said, no, no, you know, proud of it. Here it is, you know. They went, that's an old one. I said, yeah, they stopped sending them out. But the point is, the point is I've still got the card. So join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow, join today. Look, I want to go back to that issue you raised about economic growth, right? Because economic growth figures have come out today. And like you said, you know, growth for growth's sake. This is a seamless program. <laughs> seamless. <laughs> Media professionals. We do it in our shed, and that's why you love it. Come on. <laughs> so the economic growth figures came out today. The the, the June, the, the end of May, start of June figures, one point eight percent annual growth. Um, now that's that's not a terrible thing. Growth in of itself doesn't have to be terrible. Um, but let's be really clear about what this growth represents, right? Because wages have only gone up one point five percent. CPI. That's that's. Inflation effectively has the gone. Consumer price index has gone up one point. That's what CPI stands for, the consumer price index. Well, it's, look that, at me, I'm fancy. That's gone up one point three percent. That means that your wages are not going up really any more than the cost of living, and I, and I use that. I use those words quite deliberately because within CPI there are different things, right? And you, different things you buy. Now. Fuel, which a lot of people buy a lot of the time to get around, go to work, do what they need to do, that's gone up 8.7%. Whereas furniture, which maybe some people did buy at Harvey Norman during the lockdown. and Never again, people, never again, ever again. The price of that's actually gone. I didn't buy at Harvey Norman no, during lockdown. No, no, I right. But the price of furniture has gone down 3%, right? So chances are you're going backwards. So the price of furniture has gone down, and yet Jerry Harvey is making gazillions of dollars. Because he's selling lots of things, and it's the price, right? It's not the cost, it's the price. Because a lot of the stuff he's buying, he's buying cheap garbage and putting a big markup on it. Like, that's what Somebody that's sent me a story today that they started boycotting Harvey Norman several years ago when a pensioner went in there to get a computer because they just wanted to check email yeah. and came back with a $4,000 computer package just for checking email. So the, the, the reality here is that people like Jerry Harvey, and I said, as I said before, their profits have gone up 116%. And across the economy, profits are up 20%. You know, we, we've all suffered through a pandemic. We're still in a pandemic. Victoria's still Especially in a Especially if you're a casual academic. Yeah. If you're a casual anything, right? If you're a casual anything, you're suffering. If you're a small business owner, and I've had conversations with some of the small business owners in our town who are going, there is no job keeper this time. People are not spending. 
shops that haven't closed a day in 40 years closed over the weekend, yeah. right? This is where we're at now because there are big... <laughs> Our bakery closed. Because there are... Our bakery. And and look, you know, that means, sure, maybe, maybe we don't get a pie and a cake and maybe that's a good thing for our waistline. But it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for the, for the three... For the bakery workers. For the three middle-aged women who work there who are there as casuals, even though they're there minimum five days a week each, right, who didn't get paid that day, mm. you know, and that's what this really means. So profits are up across the economy 20%. You know, economic growth is up 1.8%. Morrison and Frydenberg are out there today blowing their own horn, talking about, oh, we're the only de- developed economy that's, a, you know, got the economic growth. Well, where's the next round of job caper, boys? You know, where's the support for those casual workers? Because there are hundreds of thousands of them. Because in Australia, we have one of the most casualised workforces in the OECD. And to put that in perspective, and I'm sure I've mentioned this on the program before, the rate of casualisation of the Australian workforce is 40%. In Germany, when it started to hit 20%, it was a national economic crisis and they were having tripart meetings between government unions and business to try and solve the problem of mass casualisation. We have a government that is encouraging it, that is outsourcing, that is that is using labour hire, that, that if you look at the way they have approached the NDIS, it is a schmozzle of outsourcing, of mass casualisation, of sham contracting, using a gig economy platform to try and fill gaps in the aged care workforce during a pandemic was a disaster. And anybody who looks up the way they used, the, the Morrison government used a platform provider in the first round of lockdowns when all of the problems were happening in aged care in New South Wales and you follow that from start to finish. I'm not going to go into it here because it's quite a long story, but if you follow that... From what happens in the end? What happens in the end is, turns out the, the people sourced through the platform provider didn't know how to use personal protective equipment. They weren't properly trained. And the platform provider turned around to the government and said, we're a platform provider, you know, the, the, the clients, the clients, the, the aged care homes didn't want those staff. They should have picked somebody else. These were supposed to be, this was supposed to be a surge workforce. This was supposed to be highly trained professionals coming in, helping get through a crisis. That capacity in the economy is eroded and eroded and eroded by mass casualisation, by insecure work, by diminishing and devaluing people of expertise, people who have skills, by saying that somehow or another care workers are low skilled or no skilled or dregs. And it is an outrage. What is the flip side? Just like to say, we don't think you're dregs. No. We think you're heroes, champions. We know a lot of people who work in those sectors and we know the work is exhausting physically and emotionally and we have nothing but respect and admiration for the fact that you do a job that you are not paid uh, what you should be paid for and you do it because you genuinely, genuinely are committed to the care of other people in the community. You're champs and we will always back you for better paying conditions. When Van and I say the heroes of the pandemic, we actually mean it and we support we support the 3.5% increase in the minimum wage. And we do that because we know that people on the minimum wage are working bloody hard and need and need that increase. And that it's good not just for them and their families and their communities, but for the whole of Australia. Like the small businesses who rely on having customers. Absolutely right. There's one other thing I want to mention about this, this economic news because it's – it's starting to filter through a little bit, and I think some of our listeners have raised it a number of times as well, and that is the the economic consequence of, of all of these things on an individual or on a family who want to buy a house, right? The great Australian thing is you buy it. You buy your home, you live in your home that you've bought yourself. Well... There's some really great stuff out there at the moment that talks about how, yes, property prices going up is a barrier potentially for some first home buyers, but actually the biggest problem around uh, owning your own home is going to be the lack of wage rises because for most of the post-war period, right up until the mid-90s, late-90s, the growth in your wages meant that your mortgage became less and less and less of a cost burden, right? That makes sense. If your pay packet's growing but your mortgage is staying roughly the same or sometimes even getting smaller, then it doesn't cost you as much. What's happening now 
is that there has been twice as many people retire with a mortgage as there was 20 years ago. Wow. Because wages aren't growing. We're not getting paid enough to bring down the cost of owning your own home. Now, that's going to be an increasing an increasingly large problem in Australia unless we can get wages going. You can just see generations of people who will never be able to leave the family home. Yep. And like lots I've of noticed this going back to work in the university sector and just coming across the kind of price pressures that are on students for everything where it's almost completely unaffordable to live out of home now and you just see people saving up for houses and deposits and things getting older and still not moving out of home or other people we know who've had children and have had to move back in with their parents because of costs associated with childcare and raising children. Yeah. This is going to cause like some really interesting social difficulties down like when do we all get to grow up? Well, look, it's an it's a challenge we can overcome together, right? It is a challenge that we can address because union members get paid more money, right? They get higher wages because they're in a position to negotiate higher wages. And the more people join their union, the more there's a capacity to negotiate for higher wages. And this isn't actually part of the paid ad. This is just the economic theory that we need to implement. Yeah, here. we know that. We, we know that union members get paid more money. Yeah, we do. Like that is that is the research shows that. And it shows that in Australia, it shows that in the US, it shows that in the UK. And by the way, the reaction to that is not to hate union members because they earn more money Become than one. you. It's to, yeah, to join them. Yeah. <laughs> like it could happen to you. And that's part of the reason you're starting to see Joe Biden in the US drive for higher rates of union membership because higher rates of union membership. Because he's an old fashioned social democrat and he gets it. Yeah. They dri- I'm so into it. It's Biden. a grassroots <laughs> economic strategy, right? It's grassroots economics where you're lifting the wages of people. Instead of trying to magically have money trickle down from billionaire yachts that are flying through the sky, well, we'll come to the good news in a minute. But, you know, that's not a real thing. But it's also in the United States, as as everywhere, but very obviously in the United States, there's an economic relationship with other systems of oppression and social exclusion. Like the overwhelming majority of people who are on minimum wage in the United States yeah. are people of colour. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and casualised industries, exploitative industries. If you want wage, like if you want race justice, mm. you have to fight for wage justice. Absolutely. Because marginalised communities get exploited in the workplace and get exploited economically. That's how marginalisation works. It's an it, When we talk about interse- like an intersectional understanding, we, people have to get their heads around the fact that that intersection is with the economy, it's with the workplace, and it's with class. Like, And, and when class and race become the same thing, the economic model that you are replicating is genuinely terrifying. So if you want justice for all marginalised groups in society, it's why feminists campaign so hard for equal pay and fight the gender way, the gender pay gap all the time is because the the marginalisation of women has an economic basis as well. Absolutely. This is why joining unions is an act of solidarity. You know, people are like, oh, but I'm doing really well and I'm getting paid blah, 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 and I'm important. My, my boss respects me. And it's like, but how can you stand it? How can you stand to be doing so well if you're not doing what you can, what is in your power, to make life better for the other people around you and actually fighting the structures that keep people oppressed? Here, yeah, here. Yeah. Well, let's have some good news, Van. Oh! about this good news because it involves Iron Maiden and airships. Iron Maiden and airships. How does Iron Maiden and airships come together? So Bruce Dickinson, who's the lead singer of Iron Maiden, has is just crazy about airships and various forms of air travel. In fact, lots of Iron Maiden songs, including their longest songs, have an air travel theme. That's a bit go. of that's a bit of niche I used to go out with a metalhead knowledge. There you go. Um, and even though your music taste is appalling, Ben, I do prefer you. Um, so the issue is that uh, a company um, called, who are based in Britain, who are called uh, Hybrid Air Vehicles, mm-hmm. HAV, mm-hmm. are bringing back the airship, mm-hmm. bringing back the blimp. The blimp's mm-hmm. on its way back because they are using hybrid technology, like hybrid yep. uh, gas electric technology, and they're researching for a fully electric powered blimp. 
right. to get blimps back up in the air as passenger vehicles and looking at taking over the market in the short air travel space. So some people may not, like obviously air travel is totally appalling mm, when it mm. comes to carbon emissions. Mm. And the example HIV use is that Seattle to Vancouver, mm-hmm. which is a really common sort of short flight, business flight across the border, America to Canada. Sure. 55 kilograms of carbon per person in that flight. And obviously in Australia, the Sydney to Melbourne corridor, we're not under lockdown. Second or third most flown? No, at one point I think it was the most flown corridor in the world. So you have all of those sort of short trips that, uh, you know, operate on business timetables and where time is money, Jones, whatever. Um, in France, one of the climate action measures they've taken is to uh, ban flights mm. that can't be covered by a three-hour rail journey. Yeah. So if you can get to where you need to go within three hours, from city train. to city yep. on a train, there are no flights for that yep. distance anymore. France, which owns its own rail system and the airline. Amazing. Yeah. So they can mm, yeah, actually yeah. coordinate. Yep. And, like, let's talk about... Yep. And transition economic- the workers and do all the right things. Anyway, we've got to anyway, keep going. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, what airships, because what airships can do, which mm. is amazing, is they could do, um, th- they can obviously use an alternative fuel source, mm. and the hybrid model means that they can get electricity for high batteries and everything else. Uh, and it means that that Seattle to Vancouver journey mm. is around four and a half kilos of carbon. Wow. As opposed to 55. It gets even better. That's actually less carbon that is spent on the same rail journey. Wow. And the other thing about airships is unlike rail, and you know I'm a big rail fan yeah, and yeah, I've travelled the world. All the time, yeah. Yes, and I, I have done some of the great train trips of the world and it's yeah, a thing yeah. I'm really into. Um, rail does mean that you have to dig things up and put rail tracks that down. That's true. And of course, Airships can do vertical takeoff and landing. Yeah. So you don't need the same space that you need for airports with runways, yeah. nor do you need to dig everything up to put rail tracks in. Mm. So they reckon they can get the airship off the ground in the next four years. They've got plans to build 12 airships a year. They're beautiful to travel in because they're not pressurised. Yeah. And uh, the, the, they're still working out how long journeys are going to take. But because airships, of course, can, uh, you know, can fly close to the ground. They're beautiful to travel in because they can, in your non-pressurised cabin, you can have your 360 degrees of glass. Yep. You can put in bars and couches. The company HOV are working on a price model which will make it the equivalent of travelling by train or travelling by air anyway. Yep. And yes, they got this massive injection of funding from Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. And I just want to give you the quote uh, from Bruce um, about why he chose to invest in this because I just thought... Tell us, fam, why, why has the lead singer of Iron Maiden invested in airships? He's written, I'm not expecting to get my money back anytime soon. I just want to be part of it, Bruce told The New Yorker. Being a rock person, I could put it up my nose or buy a million Rolls Royces and drive them into swimming pools, or I could do something useful. There are very few times in your life when you're going to be part of something big. There you go. I'm so into it. I'm just so into it. I'm literally so into it. And it's the Iron Maiden element in it as well. I'm Mm. just like, Iron Maiden brings back the airship. What a legacy. (laughs) That's what you do with your money. Jerry Harvey. That's what you should be doing. All right, folks, that is the week on Wednesday, and what a big, big week it's been. We've had all sorts of lockdowns, economic news, news from news from up on high from Iron Maiden. <laughs> Uh, of course, Germanicus coming in and out of the in and out of the shed, uh, and once again we want to thank our sponsors, uh, Australian Unions. You know, it really more we can do more together. So don't forget to join AustralianUnions.org.au slash wow slash wow week on Wednesday. And uh, a big shout out to all of our fellow Victorians who are in lockdown again. And we know it's hard because we're here too, and we yeah. know like the psychological pressure is really difficult people wrangling jobs and kids and homeschooling and the rest of it and the disruption and also the reminder that we're not out of coronavirus yet. No, still but a pandemic. Do try the hotline, do persist, 
do use the website, get the vaccine as soon as you can and just get that peace of mind and look after one another. And when you're telling people to go get their vaccine, remind them that the week on Wednesday will probably get them from the start of the door all the way through to the time they oh, get yeah. their shot. So share, With a lollipop share, on the way. Share. Oh, yeah, share the program. You should definitely share the program. <laughs> ben, do you think these people should share I the program? I think they should share the They're program. They're good people and they should share the program. And don't forget to join us for the weekend wrap every Sunday afternoon Ben as well. does the news that you need to know for Monday morning in 15 minutes and usually from the garden. Yeah, that's right. All right. Love you, Vanny. I love you too. Bye. Bye.